welcome to Podcast at Vote Right. I'm Lucretia McCulley, Head of Scholarly Communications at Vote Right Library. Our author today is Dr. Julie Pollack, Assistant Professor of Chemistry in the School of Arts and Sciences. Dr. Pollack and her students recently published an article, Synthesis and Characterization of Hydrogen Peroxide Activated Estrogen Receptor Beta Ligands in Bioorganic and Medicinal Chemistry. Dr. Pollock's lab utilizes chemical biology techniques, biochemical methods, and organic synthesis to understand diseases such as cancer and inflammation. In particular, they are interested in nuclear receptor function, phosphorylation signaling pathways, and the link between cancer and inflammation. Julie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And to start off our conversation, Tell us about your current research projects and how they relate to this recent publication. So generally speaking, my lab is interested in a number of things, but we're motivated by uh, figuring out methods to detect, prevent, understand, or combat diseases. And in particular, we're motivated by diseases like cancer and inflammation. And so this project, is sort of an interesting project because it encompasses the chemical biology techniques that we use in that we did synthesis of these estrogen receptor ligands and then we did a lot of biochemical characterization of them as well as um, using them in um, cells to be able to look at what their consequences were. And for this project in particular, we were looking at the estrogen receptor, which has a lot of functions in biological settings, both good and bad. And so the development of molecules that can only regulate the receptor in one context versus another context is really important. And in particular, we're interested in turning on the receptor or getting it to function in... um, inflammatory environments, things that could potentially show up in terms of neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or MS. And so um, we were excited about kind of the implications, although we don't do models that will give us those types of things. We were excited about the implications of these compounds. Thank you. That's just fascinating research. Well, your students are an integral part of your work at the university. Can you tell us how your lab operates? Yes, undergraduate students are essential to all of the work that I do. And uh, they're the reason why I wanted to be at a place like University of Richmond and why I really enjoy being here. And so typically when students join my lab, they get a small part of the project that they start to work on and a skill set that they start to develop. And then most of the time, the students stay in the lab for multiple semesters and even multiple summers that they really grow as scientists. And then they start to do other techniques and start to bring together multiple things in order to be able to contribute to projects. And in particular in my lab, a lot of the time I have students working on the same project from different directions and really focused on the collaborations that we can do in order to be able to move the projects forward. Well, you co-authored this article with students in your lab group. Can you describe the collaboration and methodology that you used to complete the research and compose the article? Yes, so 
there were two students that worked on this project. Um, the first student, Hei-jin, started with me in my first year, um, which was five years ago. And she started um, doing organic synthesis and making the molecules. And she did some initial testing, but um, she graduated. And I had another student that took over the project, Joseph, who focused on characterizing these molecules in a variety of different assays. And so he's been in the lab now I think this will be his third summer coming up um, where he's been able to push things forward with it. Um, and one of the things that impressed me both about Hei-jin and Joseph is that they've grown so much as scientists just in thinking about ideas of pushing the project forward and even new directions that Joseph is planning on taking post this publication. Um, but so both of them were very integral to collecting the data as well as um, in writing parts of the manuscript. And so getting them as involved as possible in all of the parts of the project I think is um, one of the things that's amazing about being at Richmond because students can be involved in all aspects. And it must be very rewarding to work with students over that long period of time. It is. I mean, as one of I, we had students that graduated this past weekend, and it's one of my favorite but least favorite times of the year because they, because they graduate and they move on to bigger and better things, which is great. But then it also leaves a hole where they have left. Um, but. Right. You know, that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're here for, I suppose. <laughs> I know, but it is challenging. Well, how would you envision researchers anywhere using your recent articles for their study and research? Yeah, so I think the development of selective estrogen receptor modulators is something that a variety of different researchers are interested in because there are... Um, because people want to develop tissue-specific or context-specific modulators since um, most people would probably know that the estrogen receptor is something that is a driver of breast cancer. But, so you wouldn't want to necessarily turn on the function in that tissue, but in terms of neurodegeneration, a lot of times the estrogen receptor isn't working as well as it should, and that's why a lot of women have a higher propensity for neurodegenerative diseases than men because they, their hormone levels change as they get older. Um, and so I think the, that these compounds are particularly interesting because they can be released in this inflammatory environment, like something you would find in neurodegeneration. So, I mean, I would be excited if somebody wanted to take these types of compounds into something that's a more complex model system for one of these types of diseases. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. We have some ideas of things we, we can do here, but I think that, you know, if, if there could be other groups that were interested in taking it to more complex models, that would be something that would be great. Oh. Definitely. <laughs> and our last question, what kinds of information or library resources did you and your students use in writing this article? So many background articles. So this is, you know, with, with any of the projects that we work on, um, getting background for the the specific receptor that we're looking at, as well as trying to come up with plans of techniques that we're going to be using, really involves a lot of time in the literature, both for me as well as my students. Um, and in particular, moving forward, so after this paper was published, I sort of um, 
gave Joseph an assignment at the end of this, this past semester to get into the literature, to follow some papers forward. Um, so we used Web of Science to be able to do those things, to get more papers, to think about new directions that he wants to move in his senior year, and the ability to be able, for him to be able to get the papers when he wants the papers rapidly, um, then be able to analyze them and think about them, I think is something that is phenomenal about the resources that we have on our campus. Great. Thank you. Thank we're you. Glad, we're glad you're using them. Well, thank you, Dr. Pollock. Please note that Bioorganic and Medicinal Chemistry is available full text online on the Boatwright Library website. Thank you for listening to podcasts of Boatwright. Your host was Lucretia McCauley. Editing and production was performed by Andy Morton. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit us on the web at library.richmond.edu.